0: This episode of Science Moab was made possible by a STEM Action Grant from the Society for Science. This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm your host, Christina Young, and here we're talking about forests on tribal lands within the region and the important considerations that Native communities have when interacting with and caretaking forests.
1: Yeah, I'm Haimi Yazi. You know, she. She's from Canada, and she's like, look at the Neighbours tree, and do. She's from Canada, and she's like, My name is Haimi Yazi, and I am of the Coast people clan, born for the Red People clan. My maternal grandparents are one who walks around and my paternal grandparents are Churoka Apache. I grew up in Ganado, so I live part-time there and also in Flagstaff. So this is how I introduce myself as a Diné woman and this really sort of gives acknowledgement to my family and to the land that I'm from.
0: I'm interested in what got you interested in studying forests, especially here in the Southwest?
1: I grew up on a mesa surrounded by a woodland forest. So, the main tree species there are chaos, which is pinyon pine, and gud, which is juniper. I spent most of my time outdoors uh, uh, making a lot of observations. I really enjoyed being with the plants, the land. Most of what was taught to me about the land came from my grandparents and my mom. They really emphasized acknowledging, respecting, and really cultivating and fostering your own relationship with the plants and with the land. Throughout my years, as I thought about what I would pursue in the future, it wasn't until I went to college that I took a class by Dr. Ernesto Alvarado, he was one of the professors there that really provided a space for Native and Indigenous scholars to really talk about tribal forests, traditional ecological knowledge, and what that meant in regards to tribal sovereignty and self-determination. It wasn't until then that I I realized that I could Continue to engage the land one on one personally through work, and that's how I got into forestry. Is really through you know my upbringing from my family, and recognizing that what their teachings were were very different from the westernized uh, education, and to finally see that represented at college really I, I'm so grateful for it because. There wasn't a lot of representation in faculty or the administration to really to really guide me in that direction but i knew deep down that's what i wanted to do and that's what i really wanted to continue because the work i do now is it's not just my own work it's me continuing the relationship that my grandparents and my ancestors had with the land to me what called to me was the trees and the forest. And I'm really grateful to to be able to realize that I can find a place
0: to really listen to and work with the forest. You touched on so many great things in there. I want to pick some of that apart and hear you say more about it. You're, you're talking about these relationships that you have and how, you know, it's been able to be manifested through your work. Can you tell us a little bit about really what that looks like? What kind of work are you doing on the ground or behind the computer is a lot of sometimes this ends up being, can you tell me about what that work really, really looks like? Yes, I,
1: I think it starts really with a very strong foundation really a lot of connection with the community and with the tribal forest management department. Beginning from my education through an undergrad and as a graduate student, there was a lot a lot of lack of knowledge about the Diné forest within uh, scientific literature. What I wanted to do was really to provide something for the community to, that they can really look to and see themselves within. A lot of that emphasizes not only approaching it from a Western scientific perspective, but also through our own ways of knowing our own livelihoods. And there's a lot of emphasis on being ethical when you are doing research. And so, tribes Um, we hold indigenous knowledge systems that are based on intimate observations of earth space water and that has helped us over centuries to really build a connection to the landscapes and seascapes and build on that relationship build on that connection so from that a lot of indigenous philosophy inspired how i approach different issues and that's based within indigenous methodologies of looking at respect, responsibility, reciprocity and centering that within a project. So really it's it's not centering the needs of an outside academic university it's centering the needs of the community, center the needs of the tribal decision maker and really a lot of the work i do as a forestry consultant and as a researcher is to advocate for the tribal departments and for indigenous communities and laying that groundwork beforehand before even an objective is created for the project before even a hypothesis or a question is created and upholding the importance of the indigenous community the indigenous perspective and on that throughout the project and really pushing you know the principal investigators to not only think about the data but how it's analyzed And then going even further to looking at the outcomes and deliverables and centering that for the community so that there is a reciprocal relationship within these projects.
0: I was wondering if there are some examples that you can give maybe of a community, you know, that you've been a consultant with or maybe in your own research where you've seen needs and desires of the community kind of differ from these academic questions and what that kind of ends up looking like on the ground.
1: Mm -hmm. For the Navajo Nation, we definitely have a huge forest, conifer and woodlands. What I study is the conifer forest, which is about 600,000 acres, and this encompasses Luka Chukai and Chuska Mountains, all the way down to the Defiance Plateau. There's a lot of diverse values and concerns about the forests when engaging with the community. And it really ranges from a really complex history of forest management with the Navajo Forest Department and to now where the community is really wanting to prioritize cultural and spiritual connections to the land, so that the next generation can continue to foster those relationships. The struggle is with that is really connecting that through these multiple layers of management and multiple layers of how interaction happen with residents and community members. A lot of what I hear from the community is that the emphasis needs to be based on eh and which is kinship and based in harmony and based on balance. And it's it's a real struggle to connect those ideas directly to management objective or a management strategy. And that challenge is definitely a little bit different compared to like a state forest. And it's because of those values and the knowledge that comes from the land.
0: Do you have examples of how it would look like to prioritize something like kinship? What does that look like on the ground if, if you even have an answer to that question? A lot of it
1: is really reclaiming our own Indigenous knowledge, reclaiming our own Indigenous stewardship, really building and emphasizing that connection to the land. And it's a struggle to to translate that to a Western scientific metric or an academic metric. A lot of it is community-based and relationship building. It's really emphasizing care and love that we have for the forest. So when talking about these things, it it really is based in community solutions, education with the younger generation, that this is not just a natural resource. This is not just a tree. This is a community their connection to us is not just through air purification, through providing firewood. It is a continuation of the relationship that they had with our ancestors and that will continue forth to the next generation. In terms of really pushing that in in sort of like a management objective is we, we need to expand the way we perceive the land, the way that we perceive the sky, the way that we perceive non-human beings and really push that forward, not only through government policies, but within our communities, within our families and with each other. And that can really provide the foundation for our community to really reclaim what it is to interact with the
0: land. What kind of responses have you gotten from people? I know you were a grad student at NAU and now you are a consultant um, and still a researcher. And I'm wondering what kind of of feedback you're getting from people when you present these ideas about thinking about land and management differently.
1: Yeah, uh, I think there's a variety of responses and it just depends on the audience. I do want to emphasize that a lot of what I do in research is not just for science itself, it's it's for the community. And when working with the Laboratory of Tree Ring Research, I really emphasize to the principal investigators the need to acknowledge and really honor the foresters that have been there 40 plus years to honor the forest managers that have been there and also to honor the community and their observation, their knowledge of their forests and really provide those objective goals for the community. It's really pushing them to prioritize that. In, in my line of work, I feel that every everyone has been very receptive within the community and with academic researchers that I've worked with because tribal nations really have the capacity to build climate resilience and adaptation solutions, education plans, curriculum. So everyone's been very receptive I think a lot of what the pushback is, is the challenges of the different groups of people ranging from forest managers to the community, to grassroot organizations, to academia, and emphasizing the need to foster those relationships.
0: You know, you mentioned climate resiliency, and, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know southwestern forests and the ridification of this area what kind of the state of the forest uh, might be going forward and then also continue to talk about indigenous knowledge as methodologies or <laughs> the best ways to think about climate resiliency mm-hmm. moving forward my master's
1: research project it really focused on looking at the Denef forest which is mainly a mixed conifer ponderosa pine forests. We are very lucky to have, in my opinion, one of the largest stretch of old-growth pine forests within the Defiance Plateau. That is really in a testament to tribal forest management across the nation. Tribes definitely prioritize different values of the forest than the U.S. Forest Service Definitely prioritize different strategies, mainly that of an uneven age management, and emphasizing a very detailed forest monitoring inventory. Navajo Forest Department's data set goes back to the 70s, and that is more than I can say for other forest data sets. So tribes are really at an advantage to cultivate a very holistic forest management strategy to to tackle climate change. From the findings of the project that I've done um, in looking at climate change projections and how that would change the forests, there were really dire outcomes. It was very hard to share those outcomes with with four chapters. It really emphasized the need to, to address this through management. And that has really been, within the last two years, what our our project goals are, is to be flexible and adaptive to what the Navajo Forestry Department needs in terms of management planning, in terms of obtaining climate resiliency funding. You know, the Southwest Forest, there's, there's a lot of different challenges that the forest will face with climate change we are seeing vulnerability to temperature increases. We are seeing vulnerability to a lack of winter precipitation, more specifically with the Navajo forest. This can be seen um, through those climate projections and the current project that I'm working on now, we're using tree ring to look at historical responses to climate change. We're observing the variability within the tree rings, but we're also seeing a a trend towards a collapse in the response of these trees. So that would put a strain on resiliency of the trees themselves. These two different projects, it really sets the stage of what needs to be done for climate mitigation, for climate adaptation, and that is managing the forest to improve resiliency, but also balancing it with the risk of fire, the impact of very long-term drought that we're going through in the Southwest, supporting strategies to address the, the forest community and what that looks like if we were to thin this landscape, what that would look like if we were to have low intensity prescribed burn and emphasizing that it's going to be a challenge going forward, a challenge of how climate change will impact tree growth, will impact mortality. Native and, and Indigenous scholars and in communities across the world, they're, they're reclaiming research practices to better serve their communities and center their needs. There's a lot of research about indigenous methodology, climate research. One of them that I always go back to is a global assessment of indigenous community engagement in climate research. And this is by Dr. David Chavez and Dr. Gavin. And really what they looked at within their study is the dynamic of engagement within climate research. And categorize these on a scale of extractive to indigenous. And there's, I believe it's about five, six different categories and within that detailing how each study engaged with the indigenous community. This is to highlight that we need to move away from extractive research practices. It's been too long that tribal nations have been the subjects within Western science, and really to break down that so that we can center the perspective and the needs of the Indigenous communities by Indigenous scholars. This really puts forth a different way of thought, a different way of knowing, and provides that space for tribes to really create those solutions through management that is interdisciplinary and move forward in that direction. I encourage all scholars, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, to look into Indigenous research mythologies.
0: Well, Jaime, it was so great to talk to you and hear all of these perspectives and think about forests in these new ways. So thank you so much for your time and for being on the show. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much for inviting me. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit ScienceMoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab is done in partnership with Utah State University Extension. Media is by Sophia Fisher. Newsletter is by Rhonda Cook. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding. And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.